Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And we're so happy to welcome back my sister, Lindsay Martin. Yay! Hi, guys. <laughs> Hi, Lindsay. Hi. Welcome back. Yay. It's nice to be back. <laughs> Lindsay was last with us for season three, episode five, I believe. Yeah. Nora. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, not only is she like the best sister, but she's one of our most devoted listeners. Aw. And you know what? Nora's older, and so is Lindsay's youngest daughter. You know, the, the, we've talked about all the similarities, three kids, one very new to the world. And so that's kind of fun because we always ask guests who return, like, what's new with you? And you can be like, all my kids have aged, which is great. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, and she's taken it by storm. She's six months old now, and she this past week has been cutting the top four teeth all at the same time. Oh, so no. it's made <laughs> sleep a little interesting. But she's one of the only six month olds I know who has seven teeth. Wow! So. Wow! Look at her. She's, she's sitting yes. up and she's smiling. Yeah. So oh. everybody's doing really well. Love oh. that. And you have two kids. In some version of school now, are you getting any more time? A little bit. Trip's preschool schedule is not five days a week. So it's kind of hard to feel like you're in a really good rhythm with school when he's not gone every day. It's the same three days a week, but it's not every day. So it kind of feels like a start, stop, middle of the week, but he's loving it. And it's working out. So I've still got a little time with him at home before he joins the ranks to the big kids. So that's nice. And it is good. nice that they're back in person now and that that's where we are. That's really good. Yeah. It's hard to catch up when, you know, I just basically know what's going on with you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Well, should we dive right in? Yeah, I think we're good. All right. So today we're discussing Parenthood Season 4, Episode 3, Everything is Not Okay. It was written by Bridget Carpenter, directed by Sam Jager. It originally aired on September 25th, 2012. And here's the DVD synopsis. Season 4 has been short on these NBC publicity synopses, so I've had to look elsewhere. But I find I enjoyed the DVD ones more than the Hulu ones. How about that? All right. Sidebar. <laughs> Who gets paid to write synopses? I've always wondered that, honestly. Yeah. Because I listen to other podcasts and I'm like, who's writing this? It seems like the kind of thing that you would think would be easy, but if you actually had to do it, I think it would kind of suck how hard it would be. I feel like you would have to cram a whole episode in without being too wordy, but without leaving things out or giving too much away. Yeah. Finding that balance on what's to get people hooked and what's not to spoil it. I feel like it's very similar to some of the tasks we do in my English classes I teach, you know, like when do you do summary? When do you do analysis? When are you supposed to elaborate? When are you supposed to, you know, have economy of detail? It's, it's interesting. To me, it is. Anyway. <laughs> so shout out to all you copywriters who are doing synopses. The Lord's work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but here is the DVD synopsis. And I, I got to say, I especially love the last line of this synopsis. So excited. Christina and Adam cope with emotional news and turn to family for support. Meanwhile, Zeke's behavior triggers doubts concerning his health. And Sarah confronts Hank leading to an unexpected outcome. Oh, that was <laughs> very I, dramatic. Yeah. It seems very dramatic. And then I, I even question 
what outcome? <laughs> like, I anyway, mean, we'll we'll get there. What I think they must be referring to. I saw that outcome coming from a mile away. That's what you know. It's all leading to. <laughs> it was anyway. incoming. Yes. From uh, anyway, <laughs> it was ingoing. <laughs> is what it was. <laughs> Well, Melissa, in reference to your woo yeah. at the director's name, this is the first and only episode directed by Sam Jager. And I feel like I've said before, I'm not positive how to pronounce his name, but I feel like I've seen him in interviews introduce himself, and he has the hard J. Why, hello there. I'm Sam Jager. So I'm going with Jager, and if I'm wrong, Sam Come on the podcast and correct us. <laughs> but so it's his first and only episode, but it's the second episode directed by a cast member because Peter Krause. Season three, episode 15, yes, was directed by Peter Krause. Now, Sam Jager wrote, directed, and starred in the 2011 film Take Me Home. So he had never directed television before, but he was not a total novice behind the camera. Wow, I didn't realize that. That's cool. He's in it with his real-life wife, whose name is Amber. Oh, okay. Now I'm totally going to watch that. That sounds really fun. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't watch it. I'm not that thorough of a researcher. That would have been very thorough. That would have been, yeah. yeah. But I actually never noticed this kind of crap. And for whatever reason, I was like, oh, hey, Sam Shager directed this one. I noticed that one. I'm growing. I'm less oblivious. <laughs> I'm taking a few notes from Caleb. So I had to just look up which actor that was. That's how far down the totem. Pole <laughs> like. You're like, this is a person on the show. Yeah. And is that why Joel and Julia were, well, like, especially Joel. I mean, like, Joel was barely in this. Maybe Sam Jager's like, I'll direct it, but I'm not directing myself. I'm going to direct myself walking in a jail one time, and then that's it. That's, <laughs> yeah. Then I'm out. It may be. Well, anyway, I, to spoil a little bit of my, what I usually wrap up with at the end, I just want to say that this episode kind of reminded me of the previous one in that there was a very firm division for me personally between the storylines I cared about and the storylines I did not care about. And I want to put forth a theory okay. that perhaps it is a side effect of having a cancer storyline. Cancer is such a huge event and very dramatic. Does everything just pale in comparison? I mean, last week they were like shopping for a puppy and like working out their schedules. That seemed very (laughs) small potatoes. But this week, I got to say, Max and the vending machine. Oh, couldn't have cared less. That is maybe my least yeah. favorite storyline in the entire series. I'm like, who cares? Oh my god, I mean, Micah <laughs> is the voice of reason. I want to go home. <laughs> so yeah, and then even Sarah and Hank, I gotta say, didn't care. Mm. Like, okay, so Hank doesn't want to do weddings. So what? Yeah, I yeah. had very strong opinions about that storyline, but. I would not say I didn't care about that one. I cared, but some of my care was passionate. No. Um, so, well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Yeah. I don't know. Well, and it makes you wonder, you know, like you're saying cancer is such a heavy topic that they're like, we need to just kind of have some, some breathing room in this episode because this story is going to hit a lot of people harder than others. Yeah. And we need to have some stuff to break it all up. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be it because it's it's true. It wouldn't the solution wouldn't be make everyone else's storylines just as dramatic because then like 
Then it's Grey's Anatomy. The show would be so heavy. It would just implode under its own weight. No, seriously. Then I'd have to break up with it like I did Grey's Anatomy. I was like, this is actual, like, I'm in an abusive relationship with Shonda Rhimes where she just makes me cry every week (laughs) and I got to get out is how I ultimately felt at around year 10. So... Yeah. Well, so I thought we would start with one of the ones I wasn't invested in, which is Sarah and Hank. My first question is, is this what couples mean when they talk about being into role play? I don't want to do a wedding. That's what Wait, you're, that's him? Yeah, I'm, I'm being, I'm being right, Much less charming. You have to be much more angry and you don't like women. I don't like to do nice. weddings. I don't like anything. But Hank, you should do weddings. You'd make so much money. I don't like money. I don't believe in it. I don't know. Close enough. Okay. Okay, uh, but I am uh, an assistant, and I could use some valuable experience. But I don't care about you. That's true. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, you were rude to these people, and they'll go tell their friends, and that's really bad for business, and you're incredibly patronizing when you talk to everyone, especially me. I think I've realized what bothers me the most. You're very insulting and patronizing to me. I wish you would be nicer. And Hank's heart grew two sizes that day. <laughs> I think so. I just thought that was fun, mostly. It was, but also yeah. like a pretty healthy way. I mean, Sarah had a realization. That's good. How cute is Mark's uh, impression of Hank? It's a, oh, I don't like it. It's <laughs> so cute. Oh. And pretty well, good. I'm my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I don't care about you. Yeah. <laughs> Very astute observation. It yeah. is. So you've I mean, never that's... met. No. Funny and intelligent. Insightful. Yeah. Mark's got it all. What's Sarah doing? Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> we well, and while we're still in kind of just things I thought were fun, I want to say that Hank says... And if I have to see another chicken dance, I'm going to kill everybody. <laughs> kill everybody. <laughs> wow. I mean, I don't love the chicken dance, <laughs> but... I don't know if there's anything I hate enough to make me want to kill everybody, everybody. all seven billion of them. I, you know, anyway. I got to say, Ray Romano does continue to sort of win me over, even though <laughs> I'm like everything inside of me is like, no. But man, when he did the part about I want it's my me day, my me day, like the, the way he pronounced that. I rewound it and rewatched it like 12 times and I was like crying. I was laughing so hard, but that's not Hank. That's Ray Romano. I have come to the realization that I think I maybe hate Hank, but I love Ray Romano. So maybe I also love later when he asks Sarah, if she has any food and he's like, you got a fig Newton or something. (laughs) It's all gotta be. Yeah. Improv, right? He's just that stand up is just coming out all the time. He riffs. I do enjoy that. But anyway, so what were your actual thoughts on Hank's opinion on weddings or policy not to shoot weddings? It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. He's a photographer. That's your bread and butter. Like I think it was ugh. totally well, but totally his choice though, right? Because I told I a hundred percent get, you know, there's a whole show dedicated to crazy brides <laughs> and crazy families for a reason. Cause you know. I'm sure there are just as many reasonable brides, but you won't know that until you've taken them on already as a client. And I think it's worse to, oh yeah, I'll do it. No, I'm not going to do it. After you realize that you don't want to work with them and that's worse for business than just saying, you know what? I'm not doing it. There are not going to be enough. 
I'm having a me day. There's not <laughs> going to be enough good clients to make up for the bad. And, you know, if you're surviving without it, that's just not what I do. Yeah, I think that's totally within his right for his business. I thought Sarah was a little unreasonable, not letting it go. You know, like, sure, bring it up. You work there. You should know what's happening. Yeah. So if anybody else comes up, yeah, I want you to do this wedding. Oh, we don't do that. There you go. He's the boss. I did question why she was so up in arms about it. Well, because why why would she care? She sees herself in everyone. I think she's maybe an empath or like at least they're really like hammering that in this season to be a sharp foil and contrast to Hank who hates everyone doesn't it's gonna kill everybody and so I think she just like really her heart went out to this woman like her wedding is this Saturday she doesn't have a photographer Hank is a photographer and there's nothing on the calendar I think she just like goes immediately to feeling like bad for this woman and why don't we help her I but you're all turning me around on this because I was firmly in Sarah's. I just thought this is terrible way to run a business. Like you have a calendar that's empty. Like this was news to me. I didn't realize that he never booked any gigs. I'm like, what are the two of them doing all day in that office if he never works? So I was, but like when she said that, I just thought, well, that is just turning down opportunities. And it just felt petulant to me. I'm I'm sure it's because I've decided I, I don't like Hank, even though I love Ray Romano, but it felt petulant. I don't do weddings. Oh, I'm sorry, you snowflake. Your 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 divorce happened a million years ago, and you're so scarred. And I think I think we're all eventually, when we learn he's divorced, supposed to find that like a cherishing thing, like oh, this gruff exterior masks this tender heart. And I was like, get over it and do your job. <laughs> That's how I felt. I don't know. Maybe that sounds incredibly cruel, but I think Hank could take I mean, it. I, I certainly see your point that it seems like quite an obvious market for a photographer yeah so of all things to be like no i don't shoot that you know i i could i could maybe sooner understand like i don't take photographs of animals Mm -hmm. or something where it's like you know they're just you can't control them and it's chaos and it's not worth it to me Weddings seems like such a huge thing. And so lucrative. It's more lucrative than anything else you could possibly photograph, you know, photograph. Yeah. Anyway. And yet I also agree, Lindsay, that like, well, if you don't want to do it, it's your business and you get to decide. And when I think those on the whole, I would imagine that people are much more demanding on wedding photos because you know, you're hoping that's a once in a lifetime day, you know, it's not, Oh, we do family photos every year. You know, if it doesn't work out, eh, that's a bummer. You know, we really want it to be good, but we'll get it next year. Like they were saying at the end, hopefully that's the last one once in a lifetime, you know, that's the only time it's going to happen. So people want them to be perfect. And sometimes you just don't want to mess with that. How were your relationships with your wedding photographers? Mine was delightful. It was um, my friend Meryl, who's actually going to be a guest on this podcast in like two episodes. So you'll all meet her. She's delightful. And it was so chill. It was really, really great. (laughs) We got some guy off the internet. We needed to really work on the cheap. And, um, you know, he took maybe 5,000 photographs, didn't edit any of them. Like, oh, we, we can handle that. We'll find ones we like. And we have got family with Photoshop. So he was just a 
shoot and burn kind of guy very little I, I have no idea what his name was <laughs> probably not even on that day <laughs> it was Hank Rizzoli and that's why he doesn't <laughs> do weddings Rizzoli, turns oh. out. the whole oh, time man. with I and this is probably just for Melissa more than anything else the whole time when she was talking with Mark about it and it seems like she just like and he's like can we please talk about something else yeah all I could think of was the mean girls like why are you so obsessed with me like why can't <laughs> she stop talking about him yes he's so obsessed with him uh well and earlier when Caleb said that it seemed pretty healthy that first conversation between Sarah and Mark and how you know she kind of reached a an epiphany that scene I really liked because that felt like Sarah and Mark as a team working out a work problem that Sarah has. That second one did not feel like that. It just, it matters to me. Mm -hmm. I I want it to matter to him. I totally get that. Do you, would you feel like talking about something else? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. This ice cream is delicious. <laughs> See? <laughs> and now 12 seconds go by in which they don't say <laughs> anything. That was a very effective, scene. very effective choice, Sam Jager, you know? like. Yeah, I, true. I never noticed editing yeah. stuff, and I really did notice that, how silent it was after that. And Mark was, like, in the foreground, and she was way in the back. They were not on the same page um, level page I feel like you could or... see her still thinking about it yeah too like <laughs> oh, I'm not talking about it but um so I'll just talk to myself in my head about it because I why are you so obsessed with me I can't stop yeah. <laughs> thinking about Hank and it also I drew a parallel between that and the Max storyline Max could not stop talking about the vending machine, even when Micah was like, oh, my God. Max, yeah, that's it. I didn't think of that connection. And Sarah right. couldn't drop. I mean, Hank is Sarah's vending machine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Man, that's so deep. You're totally right. And I don't entirely get it because with Max, I get that he wants the Skittles. Um but with Sarah, is it true? <laughs> yeah. Does, does she that make the wedding the Skittles? <laughs> <I don't, yeah. laughs> she has something she wants. Well, and it seems like she wants Hank, but I don't understand why. And maybe love is a mysterious thing. And maybe I'm jumping too far ahead. But that really did seem like a troubling scene. And I just, I can't. Uh, I know I, I'm a broken record, but I can't help but think you have like the perfect person. <laughs> like you just supportive, funny, charming, kind. Like even in that opening scene where she was like instructing him how to be Hank, she's like, "You have to be less charming and hate women." And I'm like, Sarah, do you hear that? Like, <laughs> you want to go from a person who is charming and likes and appreciates and respects women to someone the opposite? I don't get it. But I mean whatever like and maybe it's not that maybe she really is just preoccupied with how she's being treated at work but I don't feel like that's what the show is telling us I'm distracted thinking about a Skittles wedding like the invitation (laughs) would come and say we invite you to taste the rainbow (laughs) on March 4th or on June 3rd June 3rd that's probably what it would be you have to mark what color Skittles you want at your table (laughs) yes 
hey, this is a good idea. Quick side <laughs> note, Mark and I ended up, my Mark, uh, and I ended up not doing this. Just, you know, weddings get crazy and we just didn't take the time. But I had the idea that we should have just regular M&Ms at our wedding because we're Mark and Melissa. And so like the way that people oh, special yeah. order M&Ms, we would just have normal M&Ms. <laughs> but we did not do that. Anyway, it's fine. Anyway, I agree with everything you said about Sarah and Hank and Mark. Like it, it does seem like they're setting something up, and it, it sure doesn't feel like a productive direction for her. I mean, is there any universe where it is? Where it's like, no, no, this is someone closer to her age and more on her level. This is a healthy thing. Or is anyone like, why are you insistent on blowing up everything good in your life? What, like, which... Which does it have to be one of those? Could it be somewhere in the middle? I don't know. What do you what do you two think? I definitely wouldn't classify Hank as a potentially better, like, oh, more age appropriate, except he's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. from what we know of him so far, yeah. He's a mess. Like I don't think on any planet you're gonna find somebody who's like, oh, but age is more important factor here, not maturity and having your life together. Yeah. So I mean, at least right now, I don't think you would find a whole lot of people on Team Hank. <laughs> yeah, I I think that explains it because it did occur to me in that last scene when he reveals that he has been married as well mm-hmm. that oh, this is something that Mark would just never have in common with Sarah. Yeah. They're never going to share that history because he's not old enough to have that kind of history. I mean, he could theoretically have been married before at his age, but he hasn't been. And Hank has and seems, I mean, and in a lot of ways, Sarah is a mess too. But I think that is the difference. Like if Hank were a very enlightened and together person who's had that history, but it has formed him in a really healthy way. And he has perspective and wisdom and something. That's very different from the character we're being yeah. presented with. And then I might go, oh, wow, look at this person that Sarah connects with in a way that she just can't with Mark. But the, yeah, that's not what it is. I mean, I think so far Mark has been the healthiest person we've seen her be with, including her ex-husband, you know, for sure, you know, including anyone her age, you know, I mean, it's funny. They talk a lot about the age difference, but I'm like, he's gainfully employed. He's super like, I mean, he has his insecurities, but he owns them. I feel like, you know, like I think a lot of people wouldn't have said anything to her in that moment. They just would have felt uncomfortable. And he, in the kindest way possible was like, could we maybe talk about something else? which was standing up for himself, but not shaming her. You know, I just think, man, there are just so many good qualities here. And yet I think sometimes we're supposed to think, oh, he just doesn't get it. Look at Sarah and Hank talking at the end there. They just get it, don't they? And I'm like, I don't know. You just get that sometimes life doesn't go your way. But I don't know if that's as deep as we're supposed to think it is. You know, like 50% of marriages don't work out. That happens to a lot of people. Does that mean she's supposed to be with him because he's also had that lived experience? Well, maybe the ickier question is, is Sarah attracted to messes and not attracted to someone with his shit together? I mean, her ex-husband is the biggest mess of them all. Yeah. Or was, at least. You know, we have hopes that maybe he's getting that together but even when he was in rehab he was sort of a temptation gordon was hardly a healthy option and she ended up choosing him had his stuff together that's true but she did end up choosing him over forklift mike who was like 
you know, confident and t- yeah. more together, like emotionally, you know. I mean, does she maybe think I'm a mess? I deserve a mess. We accept. Well, I was going to say it's probably more of a reflection on how she sees herself. And, yeah. you know, well, here's this guy who's totally together. I probably don't deserve that. Here's this guy who's a mess Oof. and I'm a mess and we'll just be messy and <laughs> neither one of us will help the other one. We'll just live in our mess. Yeah. Oh, but I got to say that does feel pretty true. Yeah. Like, that that is, I think something a lot of people experience. Well, and even though she's engaged to Mark, I feel like she's always like kind of holding him at arm's length, you know, like they, they broke up before they really got going in the first season she tried to break up with him at the end of the last season. I feel like... She didn't fight for him to be in the picture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe like big things and small didn't things. Didn't she though? I mean, it's not like she just said, okay, never mind. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's she true. didn't say, are you sure? Like why, you know, when she was saying, oh, was I supposed to fight for you? I'm like, didn't you? I You didn't just take no. You said, well, but this and this and this and here's how it's different. Maybe she thought Mark meant punch her mother in the face fight. <laughs> Physically fight your mother and get me in this picture. <laughs> then she'd be attracted more to him because she'd be like, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> no. This is the kind of mess that I'm after. This is what I deserve. Well, maybe we're making too much out of it because... All they did was work a wedding together. Yep, that's wink, it. Wink, wink. Yeah. They didn't share champagne in a moment. Um, it's just, oh, wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> Damn it. But also, I mean, come on. The way that they were both like, we were young. We were idiots. We thought we were going to get married forever. And then Hank's all like, yeah, and you're about to do that again. And she's like, well, this is different. This time I will be married forever. And it's like, we're so supposed to think, you're an idiot. That's not going to happen. Don't you think that we're supposed to think that in that moment? Hank thinks that. Hank's like, you're not marrying Junior, Skippy, or whatever, you know, mean thing. <laughs> Make a wish, kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's I, I hadn't even, I mean, maybe it's because... I've seen the show before, but you're so right. Why would they have her say that line mm-hmm. unless they're trying to broadcast to you? They are not going to get married. Or at least not forever, <laughs> you know? Oof. Yeah. yeah. They're really pushing us there. I don't think that we're overblowing it, that she's obsessed with him. You're, you're right. It's very mean girls. <laughs> he is <laughs> Regina George. He's nasty to everyone, and he's sort of strangely cute. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Why won't they just let her and Mark be together? Why? <laughs> they just can't make fetch happen? <laughs> All right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. I, But I've always been like, like that. Like, Hank doesn't even go there. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It would be funny if today were October 3rd, but it's not. Um, But (laughs) anyway, no, I I agree. But I am the sort of person who doesn't necessarily, Caleb feels the same way. We've talked about this. We don't necessarily think the most interesting thing in a story, even a romantic story, is that the getting together part. Isn't it interesting once they are together and the conflicts that they have? in the relationship. Plus they've got all these kids to go out and date if they want dating storylines. Why can't, yeah. Why can't Sarah just be with someone? I don't, yeah. Good point. In fact, I remember listening to a director commentary from David Kep 
from the horror movie Stir of Echoes, of all things, with Kevin Bacon. And he made kind of the same point. He said, you know, there's so many movies about people getting together, but just in terms of drama, the stakes are not all that high. Okay, so it looked like maybe you were going to get together, but now you're not. And he said, come to me when you've got 10 years under your belt, Mm -hmm. and then you're having difficulties. And it was during a scene in the movie where a husband and wife who have a child are having an argument. And it's so true. There's so much more there. And now I'm thinking about, like, Adam and Christina's fight around the whole Rachel issue Yeah, was, I think, a lot more layered than, like, Jasmine and Crosby over Gabby. Yeah. Even though I think that one was maybe depicted in a more overtly dramatic fashion. And they do share a child and... And it's not just like, oh, boy meets girl, boy loses girl. But with Adam and Christina, the way the ramifications of that of, yeah, I didn't answer my phone when our son was missing because I was mad at you. But I have to put on a face in front of our kids like I'm not mad at you because life needs to go on for them. I just I, I yeah, I agree. I think the longer you've been together, the richer the stories become. Not, oh, now they're together. Nothing left to plumb there. Like. And I would be so much more interested, and again, nothing against Ray Romano, he is incredible. He really, I mean, he's very, very good. He's taking a character that I really should hate because of what, you know, and I I really do find him terrific. But I would rather him just not even be on the show, to be honest, and it go the other direction where... Let's explore what happens when Sarah and Mark make that decision to stay together. And what if Mark does get resentful because it turns out, nope, he really does want a child. And then they have to mine that. God, that's more interesting, isn't it? Than just, oh, here's another love interest. Yeah, like just Or a love triangle. Right. Yeah, I agree. yeah. I'm interested in that when they're in college. Like, she's a grown-ass woman. Just, like, make up your mind. I don't know. <laughs> so, damn it. Oh, hey, watch your language, Melissa. <laughs> oh, no. Was that horribly offensive? Words like that will not fly here. So yeah, there was a vending machine in the school last year, but they took it out. Max, give it up. They took the vending machine. It's not fair. You're gonna have to learn life is not fair. Ah, damn crap, hell! Why are being so loud? That was our turn. Hey, don't tell your parents I said any of that, all right? I'm sorry, is that Sydney's teacher giving birth? Is that what we just heard? (laughs) (laughs) I also included that beginning part just so I could say that we explored the vending machine story. (laughs) Is that all we're going to do with the vending machine? (laughs) I think it is all I took. We might have more to say. I I mean, we can talk talk about it, but I was like, I'm not going to pull anything from it that's fair but yeah the uh, the cursing I, it's it's surprising that they have on multiple occasions tried to make a joke or or a point about someone using bad language in a format in which they're not allowed to use actual bad language yeah he just seemed like an old man swearing which you know he was in vietnam right <laughs> yeah. you learn how to yes. swear in the military yeah yeah <laughs> you don't come back swearing like that I, those are those are words I I would say in the classroom without hesitation. You know, those are not real curse words. Like those are not going to get you in trouble with anyone. I don't think. And I also okay. I I feel like a killjoy bringing this up, but I'd be lying if I didn't say that Zeke's traffic stop made me think about white privilege. Oh my gosh! I mean, imagine that exact same scene 
But if Zeke were a black character. Yes. And I then was. I feel like it would have been terrifying rather than humorous and embarrassing. Yeah. Like it was. Honestly, I thought the same thing, like with all, you know, like because he was not complying with the officer and how it would have been so different. Yeah. Yeah. Like this could have been really poignant. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like in a different way. if he'd been black, then he would have had conversations his whole life about not doing all the things that he did, you know, like arguing with the police officer, getting out. When he got out of the car, I was like, what the hell are you doing? You deserve to get arrested. <laughs> like, I mean, like, like there was no reason for that. There absolutely no reason at all, except in his mind, this was a fine thing to do. I'm like, well, that is privilege right there. You know, like this. Yeah. 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 It's crazy to do that. Has that ever occurred to either of you before? Like driving a car, you get pulled over for a speeding ticket and you get out of the car to like, I just want to reason with you. What? Never. Never. I would never. No. Never. No one does that. That's insane. A little bit on the flip side of that issue, I also noticed that Zeke had four grandkids in the car with him and they were of three different races. I noticed that too. I wrote that down too. I'm like, what an incredibly diverse backseat. This is cool. Yeah. It's happening right now. I loved it. It is cool. He hasn't known all of them since birth. You know, he hasn't known Jabbar or Victor since birth. And yeah, he, I think he wastes no time getting really close to them. And th- I mean, have we ever seen really any scenes with Victor and Zeke before this? I, you know, he just seemed like he was totally comfortable. Like he's just yeah. in the in the family, yeah. just part of it. Or Victor with anyone except Max. Yeah, in that first that's true. Episode. It was nice to see him be one of the group. Yeah, and he seemed pretty at ease. Yeah, he's just like Baskin Robbins and <laughs> putting Max in his place. About no one cares about the vending machine, and he's right. And I liked when the <laughs> and when the cop put the siren on that Victor went busted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty great. I was shocked that the siblings were all hanging out at Julia's. Yeah, they never do that. Hasn't she actually called that out? They and yet I think she did. And yet they go to Adams. They go, you know, she, she yeah. even said that They once. don't come here. They don't come here. But there they were. I also thought, the, so the whole Zeke, should Zeke be driving or not storyline for me fell sort of in between. I was not invested in the vending machine or really Sarah and Hank. I was invested in Christina and then Zeke was kind of in the middle. What I liked about it was that The debate around whether an aging parent should be driving feels like a totally reasonable conflict to be facing and that a family would be dealing with. But I also can't imagine ever seeing that on any other show. Like, that's your storyline for the episode? Well, dad's driving. Should he be? I love it. Well, I I just kind of liked, yeah, it felt very slice of life. I didn't get it in this you know, if they were going to do that, something more serious should have happened. I felt like, you know, like getting pulled over for a ticket and then swearing too much and getting arrested. Caleb, you remember dad always saying any lesson you can learn in a car and walk away from is a good lesson. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good saying. So like, here's your lesson in the car. Don't get out of the car when you get pulled over. <laughs> yeah. Or True. you go to jail. Like, this is the lesson we learn from this but it's, so I just don't feel like it was, you know, in the scheme of things, like we shouldn't be, should he be driving our kids? I don't feel like it was that big of a deal. He didn't like have an episode and crash the car with all of the kids, you know, he didn't black out and hit a street sign, you know, right. he got pulled over and 
behaved inappropriately with the police officer and there were consequences. Yeah, it wasn't really a driving issue. It was <laughs> move on with our lives. Yeah, yeah, that's I can't believe I didn't even <laughs> put that together. But you're so right. The issue was not his health. The issue was his character. Yeah. <laughs> and his choices, his behavior. Yeah, the U-turn was wasn't that big of a deal. Zeke, yeah. You know, it wasn't yeah. out of character for him. Yeah. They could have been like, should he have driven us? you know, 30 years ago, because that's probably the same yeah. shit he did then. Like, yeah, this is not about aging. For sure. It's just who he is. So yeah, I feel like if they were going to have that, it should have been something That's different. a good point. No, totally. I also Googled warfarin, which I'm pretty sure is the medication that he's on, mm. the blood thinner. And I didn't find any indication that you shouldn't be driving with that. I think so many people, I think it's a very common medication. Yeah, and you know it's not like it causes drowsiness or anything. Well, and it's not like Crosby told them what the name of the drug was, and none of them knew. I think they were all just sort of in panic mode at that point because they were worried about. I mean, I think that's the central thing. They focus it on something practical, like should he be driving? But I'm sure it's really more about mortality. You know, they're just they're freaking out and they want to confront him about it. And I think maybe the driving is their way of doing that. I think it makes sense. I appreciated them referring back to Zeke's AFib yeah. at all. Like something that seemed like, oh, maybe that was just a little one episode story last season. But it's still, the ripples are being felt still. And I also thought it was funny. I wrote down, time lessens the offense of sharing something you were asked not to, doesn't it? Yeah. Like here at Crosby, I feel like, just offered it up, even though he knew he'd been asked not to tell the others. But he was asked that months and months ago. Yeah. So now it doesn't seem like such a big deal. And maybe that shouldn't lessen the offense of it, but I feel like it does. No, I think it does. Totally. I had two things in that storyline that I found interesting, so I'm pulling up my notes really fast. The first one was Camille, because I really felt like Camille's reaction to all of it was kind of fascinating. I felt like she just leapt to Zeke's defense in a way that was almost overblown. Well, I hope you're proud of yourselves. No, Mom, we just felt the topic needed to be addressed. He's not an invalid. No, clearly. He's not ready to be put out to pasture. He's not there yet. He's not even close. You know, he forgot to send in his renewal. Big deal. Shame on you. But then she was so nervous when they were driving to him taking his test, he, she was scared too. It was like a defense mechanism to act like she wasn't, you know, to, to yell at the kids. But I think she was just as shaken up as they were and she just showed it in a different way. And I think she was scared about him, but she's got the added thing of probably also being scared for herself. You know, they're around the same age. I think maybe this, these are scary conversations to be having, like, should our rights or privileges or whatever you want to call them be taken away from us? Should we not be driving? How old are we? How close to the end of our lives are we? That, that, that would be really terrifying stuff. And I felt like very subtly that was kind of present in everything Camille said and did. That's probably closer. I just assumed she thought he would be super arrogant and then not pass his test and not have a driver's license. <laughs> And then not be able to drive the kids around at all anymore. Mm. It was more selfish. Like, okay, now don't think you know everything. Here's the test. <laughs> uh, but that right. yours, yours makes a lot of sense too. Oh, but I like yours. I think that's a really fun take. Like the idea that she's just like, oh, 
And then that will just inconvenience everybody because of his damn arrogance. That's true. Cause she, shouldn't she have been kind of more mad at him for like getting out of the car to the police officer? She never really brings that up. Yeah. I think, I think she assumes he would do stupid things like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And his arrogance. Yeah. I like what you said about Camille, maybe not wanting to confront Zeke being diminished in any way, because I think everyone knows like we're all going to get older and we're all going to lose our ability to do things the way we used to do them. And that's a hard thing to confront. It's a, this is different, but I remember growing up like with our mom, Mm. she was driving even as her MS was progressing. And it was sort of the reverse. I think she was ready to stop driving before other people in the family were like I remember when weather was bad she would ask for a ride to work and you know if me or my dad was the one that had to give her the ride then we would kind of bellyache about it and I would think come on mom you can drive drive yourself yeah not being appreciative of the fact that driving a car carries a lot of very serious risks with it and if you don't feel like you are in control you really should not be doing it. Yeah. And, but I think because of the responsibilities she had within the family, I I think she kept doing it probably past the point where she would have preferred to stop. Yeah. And I don't want to put words in her mouth. I'm sure she would have preferred to never stop driving because right. she was just able to, yes, you know. Yes, of course. But that, you know, but there was a reality that everyone had to face there too. And it was tough. But this feels like the opposite, where the the driver has utter confidence in themselves and it's everyone else who's doubtful. I was somewhere between Camille and the siblings. I thought the siblings' concern was valid, and I didn't think that they were being insensitive. But I also (laughs) thought the offense that the parents took from it was extreme. Like, just have a conversation about it. it. Well, and their, you know, their approach when they talked to him was, how could you let it expire by a year? And I wanted to be like, who knows off the top of their head when their driver's license expires? Like, who doesn't wait for that renewal to come and then be like, oh, yeah. And then like the day before your license expires, you remember, yeah, it's expiring. (laughs) Now I have to go wait at the DMV for 10 hours tomorrow. (laughs) And maybe that's me, but like, who remembers when their driver's license expires? I have no idea when mine will. I'm sure it's a much more common problem than they're like, oh, you're just getting old. Nobody cares. (laughs) Mine expires on my next birthday. Oh, so it's usually a birthday, but like paranoid that I'm going to forget. Yeah. But yeah, good point. Kind of ironic because you drive less than (laughs) we do. (laughs) I I need to add it to my list of things to check out. Like I need to get a mammogram because I'm 40. And every time I watch Parenthood this season, I'm like, oh, my God, go get one. (laughs) Well, there's a good segue. Thank you. This is also the first episode with Kurt Fuller as Dr. Bedslow. (laughs) I'm just reading my note. He has a shitload of credits. Felicity. Sorry. And I said he's one of those (laughs) actors who you know you've seen elsewhere, but you can't always remember where. I can, Felicity. But But I guess it was Felicity (laughs) for Melissa. Well, yeah. But that show, I mean, it's funny how often you and I are like, oh, I didn't remember that about Parenthood. It's because it's like our third time through. I have probably watched Felicity like 10 times, so I I don't forget 
anything. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he had a really big part. He, I mean, he was only in one episode, but it was the series finale. So, oh. yeah, it was kind of a memorable thing. I had to look him up. And then I think probably what I remember him most from was The Good Wife. Oh. Who always had, they had always had really interesting guest stars as judges. Mm. And he was a judge on several of them. Wasn't so. he also on that show that you and I tried to watch that had... Alexis Bledel and Jason Ritter was that us and yes, them. Yeah. Us and them. Yeah, that was pretty terrible. I wanted to love it. <laughs> Gary watched the scene with him in it, just you know, for yeah, like, yeah. Let's check our fact. Let's check our facts. Oh, here. good. Gary is Lindsay's husband, who is a surgeon. FYI, listeners who don't know, everyone in this <laughs> I'm meeting like, knows Caleb, that. I know that. But, yeah. <laughs> Gary was watching it and he said, well, he was probably in such a rush in that appointment because he was trying to get back to, and then it was some reference to Ghostbusters. And I, <laughs> I don't know the movie well enough to remember what the reference was, but he recognized it from Ghostbusters. That's fun. <laughs> I love yeah. that. That's great. The bedside manner was a one out of 10. <laughs> but just the whole scene in general, it's just such a, you know, this was our this was the movie outtake in reality there's such a huge team of people that see you and I even you know I knew that there was an oncologist and a breast surgeon and then a plastic surgeon if you're going to end up doing any kind of reconstruction who were in on this but I knew the team was even bigger than that from what I could tell like this guy's probably the breast surgeon since he's taking out the lump but before she would have even seen him she would have talked to her oncologist she would have talked to um you know he wrote down this whole list of people that you see a radiologist um a nurse educator you know there's there's a whole team of people that you're seeing and uh, so this wouldn't have been like their first sit down, like, can you please explain this whole process to me? Mm. So that like, oh, well, you know, he didn't tell us anything. In reality, he probably wouldn't have had to, I mean, they would take more time than what they had there. You know, we're getting that TV snippet of what's yeah. happening there. So somebody would have answered a lot of her questions already. And he probably should have answered more of those as well. But, you know, yeah. That's a really good point. They did slip in that Dr. Bedslow was who her oncologist sent her to. So they at least referenced yes. that. But we, so that we didn't I thought, see. Yeah, was good but it is too. like, what did she talk about with the oncologist? Yeah, that's a good point. But I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, there and there should have been more. Yeah, because, and there's so many, Gary talked for it for a long time. I'm like, it's probably better that I'm doing this because I'll keep it a lot more, more <laughs> succinct than if he was on here. You'd get a whole rundown of how breast cancer works. But yeah, that's the biggest part of it is that this is just a small, so much of the treatment depends on so many different factors. You know, she would see a geneticist, you hear them reference that you need the BRCA results because you need to know what type it is, to know how fast it's growing. You need to know if it's in lymph nodes yet. And so much of that will dictate your treatment from that point on. And there's just so much. And again, you know, they're not going to devote a whole hour to Christine's breast cancer. You know, she's going through this and it's, it's rough. There were a couple things I took away from it as a surgeon's wife. Just, you know, I was super mad at, at the doctor because I know what Gary's days are like. 
and 999 times out of a thousand your doctor's not late because they're playing candy crush in their office (laughs) you know they're seeing other patients or they had a surgery that morning that went long and so it just backs up their whole day they're spending time that they need to with another patient they might be on call that day and they're getting called 50 times with other little things that they have to get to before they get to you they would be on time if they could. And so a little patience goes a long way. And Gary was saying too, sometimes patients will call when they're first diagnosed and their nurse coordinator who's been talking with them said, this person just got diagnosed. They just met with their oncologist. We need you to see them within the week. So they're trying to get somebody worked in. Well, their schedule is already full and now they're adding another person to send people who've been worked in like that typically tend to have more patience with waiting and appointments after that because they know you're just doing your best to see everybody. And then also they talk about it later, but the fact that he gives his private number out to his patients and they can call him whenever they want, that is huge because honestly, it's a super big inconvenience for that doctor and his family to be reachable 24 hours a day by people who are worried about their health and will reach out to you any time of the day they are worried (laughs) about their health, you know, and not that they shouldn't be, but you know, you're going to be at your son's football game on a Sunday and you're going to get a text from a patient who's worried about something that's happening two weeks from now, or it happened a week ago. And you're going to respond because you care about that patient. Some patients have no boundaries and they don't care if it's 1030 at night. They don't care what time it is. They have questions for you. It's like you're almost always on call then and it's hard to get away from that. But you want to be able to be there for your patients who who are worried and be some sort of reassurance for them. So that really says a lot for that doctor to have, you know, been giving out his personal number because Gary does that too for his breast cancer patients he doesn't want them to worry about that kind of stuff that's kind of and then the one I had to laugh at yeah was the call that he took (laughs) about no don't listen (laughs) to your cousin no I'll read the I'll read the report (laughs) your cousin's a veterinarian you'd be surprised (laughs) how many patients you know have a family member oh well this person's a nurse and they told me like just they like, you know, just enough to be irritating. <laughs> you don't know everything that's going on, but you know enough to question the things that my expertise is telling you to do. So please don't do that. I got it under control. We're not missing anything. Those are such good points. I, I That was fascinating. Thank you for talking <laughs> about that. I love that. Yeah. Well, what did you think? I mean, we kind of got Lindsay's opinion, but let me play this scene and then ask like another question related. Hey, Christina, can I say something? Yes. I really didn't like that doctor. Okay. I didn't, I didn't like the way that he made you wait. I didn't like the way he answered his phone every time it rang when he was supposed to be focused on you. I feel like he's distracted when I want somebody who's going to be sensitive to what you're going through. Obviously, honey, it's your call, but I just feel like we should find the right person, the person who's going to nip this thing in the bud. I know, and take but care honey, he also said that we shouldn't wait, so. I know, and I agree we should make an appointment like, for surgery so that we don't lose the date, but we should get another opinion quickly. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. All right, honey, just trying to do the right thing here. You're I know. Be okay. I know. 
Hey, you're going to be okay. So my related question is, how do you think Adam handled bringing up that concern? Do you think he expressed his opinion in a considerate way to her? I get where he's coming from, but I also feel like it should have been posed to Christina because while it is affecting Adam, he's not the one going through it, you know, to be like, how do you feel about that visit? Are you okay with it? Do you want to see somebody else? You know, if you feel like she wouldn't have stood up for herself, if she was uncomfortable with that doctor and wouldn't say, you know, maybe we should do something different. But to be like, I'm uncomfortable with it. And I think we should go see somebody else. Are you okay with that? Because she seemed really uncomfortable with him bringing that up. You know, and if he was truly worried about what she needed, like, you know, how are you feeling about this? Would you feel more comfortable if we got another opinion? You know, and he did say, oh, you know, it's, it's totally your call. But I feel like they make so many decisions together. She feels pressured to do what he wants when this is really all about her. That's exactly the word I was going to use is pressured. Like he's bringing it up. Like it's something that's supposed to make her life easier and better. Like let's find a different doctor. All I could think is I've never gone through anything like this, but if it were me, I would have found the very suggestion of starting all over again and waiting to see a different doctor incredibly overwhelming. And honestly, I would have been really furious with the way he, at the end, was like, you're going to be okay. Listen to me. You're going to be okay. I would be like, at this point, I don't think I can listen to anything you're saying because you're telling me things you cannot guarantee. You don't know that I'm going to be okay. And yeah, I, I don't know. I think that part was my least favorite part. Caleb's original question was, did he broach it okay? And Lindsay, I think your answer was perfect because I thought... No, he didn't, but I can't say why. And Lindsay, you said why. I had the same, yeah, yeah I had the same feeling. I, he wasn't disrespectful. No, no. But yeah, you you hit the nail on the head of what was bugging me. Yeah, ask it her. It just wasn't like framed right. Yeah. How did you yeah. think that went today? Did you feel, you know, and then if she said, well, to be honest, I didn't love waiting and I don't think I have very good feelings about it. Then I think he could be like, oh, good. I felt the same way, but I didn't want to put that burden on you if you felt good about him. I mean, honestly, the thing that I remember Dr. Bedslow saying the most was when he looked at her, it was kind of brusque, but he said, listen to me, I'm really very good. And like, and it, I don't know. I think if it were me, I'd be like, great. <laughs> I don't know that confidence. <laughs> and I, like, I really liked what Gwen said later. I know we'll get to Gwen, but like when she was like, he's not there to be your friend, you know? And I kind of thought that was in sharp contrast to that other doctor they go to. Who's like, do you want a drink? I'm like, I don't need a doctor to offer me a drink. I can go to a restaurant after my appointment and have someone offer me a drink. I need someone to say, I'm really very good. And, <laughs> and like, get the thing out of me. I don't know. And I I mean, it's not like I thought his um, concerns were totally ridiculous, but it just seemed to me like he is someone who knows nothing about this world. I mean, Lindsay, you just talked to us as someone who does know a lot about the world of of this. You know, I'm not saying Adam doesn't know anything about any world, (laughs) but he doesn't know about this world, you know, and neither do I, to to be fair. But like, he's kind of acting like he does. He's trying to play the same role that he always plays, you know, the rescuer, the fixer. But... And, and I get it. It must be terrifying for him not to know what to do. But I'm like, oh, 
everything he was doing was stuff that really drove me crazy. Like during the early stages of the pandemic, when people would be like, we're all going to be fine. I would be like, listen, I'm scared. And I don't know that we're going to be fine. Stop just assuring me of something that none of us know. We don't know what's going to happen, you know? And I liked reading scientific articles written by people who did know. And even if the news was scary, I liked, okay, this is going to last a long time. We'll be social distancing for like a year and a half. I read that article at like March, 2020, and I felt weirdly relieved. I'm like, okay, I know what I'm looking at. I didn't want people to just be like, this is going to blow over next week. I'm like, you don't know that. I don't know if that makes <laughs> sense, but that's kind of the only comparison I could think to make. And I, I felt like Christina, I'm like, I, if I'm scared, I need to say I'm scared. There's power in it. It's not just filling your head up with negative thoughts. It's like feeling your feelings, you know? It, what, what Adam was doing was toxic positivity, which can be just as bad as toxic, you know, to toxic negativity. Anyway, I got all flustered because I'm feeling it. Well, that's, I mean, that's exactly what I wrote down too was, you know, out of this toxic positivity, you know, sometimes you just need to be scared and then you can face it and then you can move on. When you feel like you can't be scared, you almost feel like you shouldn't be scared and which is not, you know, when you are terrified, it just makes it worse. Yeah. And to what you were saying that you want somebody who's going to look you in the eye and say, I'm very good. So many people are different. And I feel like Adam and Christina, at least at the beginning of this had very different mindsets on how to handle it. Some people want to be, you know, really like, let's sit this out. Let's talk about it. Let's be super positive. Let's, you know, this point, this point, this point, other people want to be just a number in the machine. You know, mm -hmm. like a friend was just talking about a family member who had been recently diagnosed and they went to a hospital here in the Metro. Uh, and then it was recommended that they go to another larger hospital and they went to the larger one. And they're like, Oh yeah, that was definitely a different experience because they do this all the time, you know, mm -hmm. their numbers across the board. It's just, you know, if you want to just be like, yeah, I want to go to the best. They do this all the time. You know, and it's almost like a machine, like, yep. Mm -hmm. Just put me on the conveyor, get it out, spit me out of the program. We're good to go. And other people want you know, like, oh, you know, they really have the time to sit down and talk with you about this, you know, kind of like the second doctor, like, oh, you know, how are you feeling about this today? And let's get some water and positive vibes only, you know, and that's what some people need, you know, yeah. it seems like Adam would have gone that route and Christina wants to be a number in the machine and everybody's got to do what they got to do and um, approach it how it's going to be best for them. Honestly, I'd be like, this is wasting time talking about beverages. Get the thing out of <laughs> yeah, me. Put me on the schedule. Like, is it not out yesterday? We yeah. You're doing it wrong. Yes. <laughs> I'd be like, we don't have time for this. Let's just, yeah, that's how I would feel really. Well, I was just about to ask you both your opinion of the second opinion, but you, <laughs> you just both shared it. And obviously like her bedside manner felt more deliberate, but it didn't strike me as terribly genuine. Yeah. So I familiarized myself with your tests and medical records this morning. Right. How are you doing? I mean, it's overwhelming, but I figure a lot of women deal with it, so it's fine. Like, it's... And so many women do. But I'm here to make it less overwhelming for you. Thank you. Let's discuss the best course of action. I believe a lumpectomy would be the right course of action, but it's not the only way to go. 
The research shows that with surgery followed by radiation, our chance of cure is the same as the mastectomy. Okay. Look, I see you recovering. You're gonna come back from this. It's gonna be a tough year, but you're gonna make it. Sentences like, I see you recovering from this. That would drive me out of my mind. Like, absolutely not. I, this is not the person for me. No. And I, I think, like what you said, it's so. It depends on the person. If that's what's going to make you feel cared for and in the right frame of mind to tackle this, then fine. That would not be mine. Yeah. I would want something a little more cold, hard factual even if it was less comforting yeah well it's so similar mm -hmm. to adam just being like you're gonna be fine you know like i see you recovering it's really interesting to me because i think i would have thought christina would like that sort of thing but i guess you don't really know which person you are maybe until you're or you know we're all hypothesizing what people we are maybe you don't know yeah. but when we know she catastrophizes i wonder if part of that is She's not someone who easily rules out worst case scenarios. Right. Maybe she wants someone who, like like you with the pandemic, like, well, no, tell me how bad it could be. Yeah. What are we looking Obviously, at? Obviously, no one wants it to be right. as bad as it could right. be. But just pretending it couldn't possibly be so may not be reassuring. Mm -hmm. One interesting point that Gary made. So Gary's a plastic surgeon. So he's on the reconstructive end of breast cancer. So he doesn't do much in taking it out, but in a recovery after, but uh, he said a lot of the times plastics are the ones who get the tears because you get diagnosed and it, it is a whirlwind. You know, they're trying to get all of your genetic testing done right away to find out how best they're going to treat this. Then you meet with the oncologist, you meet with the breast surgeon, uh, and then you meet with plastics and that's like, you know, a week or two after your diagnosis and things are kind of starting to calm down and a plan is really being formed. And that's when it kind of hits the patients, you know, it kind of feels a little surreal potentially up to that point. And they get a lot of tears in their appointments. And I kind of felt like that's where Christina was finally in the bathroom toward the end, you know, when she's looking at herself, you know, yeah. and just the look on her face is like, this is the body that has betrayed me you know, and you feel like it's kind of all washing over her. And then here comes Adam and she's like, but now I have to be positive, you know, get rid yeah. of the, yeah. the hurt. I've got to be positive and go out and face Mr. It's okay. Yeah. I thought that scene in front of the mirror was so good. Yeah. And I, I thought it could have really been bad I, I, in a way, like, I, I don't just like cliche or something. And yet it didn't strike me that way at all. It would just be so frightening to know something's happening inside your own body that shouldn't be. And like you said earlier about Adam, you know, it's not happening to him. In that moment, it also hit home like, man, you go through this alone. Like, yeah, hopefully Adam is there as a support system and other family as well. But they can't do it for you. Yeah. And yeah, I thought it was very um, revealing that she would only allow herself that moment in the bathroom alone, door closed. And before she went out, it's okay, wipe the face off and put on a, a brave one. And you know, I really do want to say, I mean, I think Adam is doing what he thinks is right. And maybe for him, it would be, you know, Lindsay, you made a good point when you said everybody wants different things, you know, in something like this, maybe he would want to be comforted 
or maybe this is just all he can think of to do to comfort. You know, I mean, hey, I love watching movies and I love watching movies even when I'm like sad <laughs> or scared. You know, I think that it's a fair guess that maybe she might like to be distracted for the evening, you know, and, and to do something normal and for him to be like, hey, hon, do you want to watch a movie? I didn't think that was insensitive. I thought that was really lovely. But he didn't know what was going on inside of that bathroom. And she didn't feel like she could show him because if he could see what was in there, he would be like, what a ridiculous suggestion, this movie, <laughs> you know, he'd be like, <laughs> yeah. let me just hug you and let you cry. And that's what you need, you know, but it was so interesting when she told Gwen that she like couldn't talk to her husband. And I'm glad that maybe, I mean, I don't remember what happens next. Maybe this is just a one episode storyline of not being able to confide in Adam because, you know, she does at the end and thank goodness. And I think he really does hear her. And that felt like such a believable conflict. I really did like that a lot. Well, let's discuss Gwen a little bit. This is, you know, a lot of firsts in this episode. It's Rose Abdu's first episode as Gwen Chambers. She's best known as Gypsy from Gilmore Girls. I also especially love her because she was on the second season of The Comeback. Ah. She was also the judge in the all too short series, The Grinder. (laughs) That was a good series. Lindsay made me watch it. <laughs> which in which Idaho one was when that? They lived there. Which one was the grinder? It's Rob Lowe, and he's a Hollywood actor who played a lawyer. And he, his show ends, and so he moves to Boise with his brother, Fred, Fred Savage. Savage. That's right. And he tries to just join the practice because, you know, <laughs> well, I was a lawyer for so long, I can just be a lawyer right <laughs> along with you. That's hilarious. I love that. It's fantastic. They play so well off each other. I highly recommend it. I've never seen it, but that sounds great. It's on Amazon. (laughs) You have to pay for it, but it is on Amazon. It's a show I was made to watch (laughs) that I then was very happy that I did watch. That's cool. I forgot that she was on it, though. It may have only been one or two episodes. But I would have recognized her then. It's like, oh, there's Gypsy. Yeah, it was crazy to see her like just not have a whimsical potentially offensive accent and name. (laughs) (laughs) But I did love her on Gilmore Girls. Like, I thought she was really delightful on that. And this is such a different role. It's like much more nuanced and layered. And she's so good. She's like a real person. A real person. Yeah. Gypsy was (laughs) not a real person. Not a a just like fairy tale sort of character. Yeah. Well, what did you, did you have any problems with this moment right when we meet her? Listen, all this really messes with your head. You're going to get really confused really fast. Call me. Seriously. That's Don't worry, great. I won't try to get you to take shots of wheatgrass. That Oof. crap made me more nauseous than the chemo. No, but... Thank you. Have a good visit. Can't imagine why her husband stopped showing up. I can see Melissa's face right now, so I'm going to just yeah. preemptively say... I actually appreciated that moment because it felt very human. I was like, don't we all do that when we are with the people we trust most? I'm not saying it's a good trait, but, you know, if you can't turn to your wife and say, God, what a nut. Who can you say it? (laughs) That's a good point. Uh, But saying, God, what a nut is different than I can tell that this lady's husband never wants to be around him at her cancer appointments. Like, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and what did she say that was awful? She was like, you're going to get overwhelmed. Here is my phone number. Call me if I can ever help. Like, maybe that just goes to show that Adam is not in that headspace yet. Like, Christina and Gwen live in the intense land now. Like, Christina is already there. I think Christina appreciates this. And Adam's like, what are you doing? I'm going to take care of her. It's going to be fine. And I think he doesn't realize this woman can take care of her in a way I can't because she has been through this and I have not. I don't think he... So, I mean, it seems like just a throwaway kind of mean comment, especially then he goes on to like do a pirate accent and be like, hey. That's what I really had a problem with. And I really don't take offense to so many of those things, but I'm like, what a cheap shot to make fun of a woman with cancer who's wearing a head covering because she doesn't have hair because she's going through chemo yeah, and who still chooses to wear earrings and then calling her a pirate. Like, you know, Kayla, like you were saying, like there's oh. a difference in calling her a nut and then making fun of her appearance that is only because she has breast cancer. Yes. That's okay. different. I didn't even, I took a clip of that moment, but it was because I was trying to figure out, is Adam impersonating someone? Yes, there? her. Okay, I get I get the wardrobe. I have but, cancer just okay, like you. This makes sense, but don't you think, <laughs> I was like literally Googling Johnny Carson or Groucho Marx, because I was like, is he doing a Johnny Carson voice? I know you've probably never met a pirate before. <laughs> I've got cancer just like you. Stop. What? It just rocked. <laughs> it just sounded like, I was like, he's imitating someone, but I guess. I think he's know, just bad at He's imitating her. Yeah. He's trying to imitate her. Ugh. Well, that was a very bad impression from someone, you know, his <laughs> Zeke is great. Yeah, he's real good at that one. Zeke Braverman, Stop. how you doing? Oh, no. Okay. I, I agree with you all, all, but I want to point out too that Christina laughed. Which I, and that's I was, I'm like, this seemed out of character for her too. I almost wondered, Fair was enough. that a genuine laugh on her part? It seemed genuine. I will say that. Well, she did say it was rotten too. Yeah. <laughs> so. I wondered if she was like torn, like maybe, I mean, they've been, they're all pent up. They've been waiting for more than two hours. She sees how badly he is trying. And I do think that he's not just being like a dick there. I think he's like, what will it take to make my wife laugh? We are so stressed out, you know, and I, so I think it's not just a dick move, but I did also think it was a dick move. And, but then I'm like, maybe it's worth it. You know, I mean, when, when you said that, I, Gwen never knows that he said that, you know, and, and it yeah, made it's her true. laugh. I- <laughs> I have, I mean, I, I'm not really going to defend him, <laughs> but I have always been firmly in the camp of, you know, people are like, oh, I hate when people talk about someone behind their back. I always think, well, it's certainly a lot better than telling them to their face. Like, I am not one of those like, yeah, tell me whatever you think of me. Please don't. Save it for behind my back. I realize probably the best option is don't say anything. But, you know, I can't do that. I just wondered where his animosity was coming from. Like, what did she say that would make you, yeah, like do an impression of her making fun of her appearance that is because of cancer and indicate I understand why her husband left her. Like, whoo, that was like intensely mean. He didn't leave her. He just no. stopped coming to the appointment. No, I think, I mean, what did, what did he say? Well, she, she said, she said, well, your husband's still here. Eventually they stopped coming. Okay. All right. I took it as they just thought she was a little intrusive. They were there having their own conversation. And she just and popped in. Hi. Yeah. Hi. I guess that's but, true. 
but does that deserve? Well, anyway, let's talk about the conversation she has with Christina later. No. Have you scheduled your surgery yet? No, not yet. I'm just... What are you waiting for? I didn't really like Dr. Vetslow. I thought he was kind really? of... Yeah, kind yeah. of rude and... He saved my life. Yeah. What didn't you like about him? When we were there for my appointment, he took two phone calls. Within like five minutes of us being there, it was just dismissive. You know who he's felt... talking to? His patients. I mean, he gives you his cell phone number and he answers it every time. Honey, listen, you don't need a friend. You need a doctor. He's not there to make you happy. He's there to cure you. I must have called him a thousand times the three days before my surgery. He answered the phone every time. He never once screened my calls. I just feel like I need more information. Like maybe there's a better doctor or like- I really think you have all the information that you need. You really do. I think you need to get it the hell out. Okay? Don't waste time. And I, uh, I also feel like I'm kind of scared, you know? Like, of course. I feel like I can talk to you. I don't even know you. It's like stranger, but I can't really, can't really talk to my husband. Why do you feel like you can't talk to him? Because he is so positive. He's like this relentlessly positive person who can fix everything and, and make everything better. And it's like, that's, that is a good man. He wants to protect you from anything bad happening. And here's the thing. The bad thing is already happening. So what did you make of their conversation? Do you agree with Gwen? And do you relate to the pressure to be positive? I know we mm. touched on that a little earlier, but. I feel like it was a good conversation. You know, I, I agreed with Gwen and, you know, like I had mentioned earlier, any doctor who's willing to give you his personal number cares, you know, maybe they don't have the best bedside manner, but they do care and they, they want to be there to answer your questions and I also felt like when Christina was saying, well, you know, I kind of want to get another opinion. I feel like she was almost just regurgitating what she felt Adam felt about yeah. him. And I don't know that she really felt that way. And so for somebody to validate how she was feeling without her having to say it is potentially what made her break down and be like, oh, I feel like I can talk to you <laughs> because you and I are on the same wavelength because we're going through the same thing. Yeah. I wonder if part of why Christina was clinging to that second opinion is almost like denial to some degree mm. that I don't want to face the fact that I have cancer growing inside of me that needs to come out as soon as possible. But it's like, well, unless the second opinion is going to reveal, oh, actually, you don't have cancer. Right. Then, like, to some degree, what good is it? I felt like Gwen, obviously I have no medical training, but the school of if there's something in there that shouldn't be in there, then it needs to come out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I related to that. That's what I would feel like. Just get it out of me. I really loved what Lindsay said too, because I was thinking hearing it back in a way, she's almost as pushy as Adam, you know, she's like almost cutting her off. Like, I really think you have all the information you need. But I think the difference is she is saying what Christina truly feels. And Lindsay articulated that beautifully. I think that's that's what it is. The reason she doesn't feel defensive or like uncomfortable, but rather like revived or, you know, you know, energized by it is that it's putting words to her thoughts. 
And then I just had like an epiphany while you were both talking that I never thought before. It was just kind of insane. It occurred to me when Lindsay said the bit about he doesn't have great bedside manner, I thought, well, you know who else doesn't have good bedside manner? Max. Like, you know who just says things bluntly and gets right Mm. to it? And isn't it fascinating that Christina sort of accepts that in a way that Adam doesn't because Adam never really fully accepts Max, right? He like wants the more like quote unquote normal thing. He wants the more human interaction. I just never thought about that before, but I think that's a really interesting connection to make that Christina is really okay with it. And Adam's not, he's like, let's go see a more normal doctor (laughs) or, you know, a doctor who will be like nicer to us or like tell us in, you know, sugar-coated language, warmer. Warmer. Yeah. Yeah. I never, I don't know. That just like kind of blew my mind to think about. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I also totally understand that feeling of needing someone you can relate to in order to confess certain feelings or make sense of them. Like, I know during the pandemic, my friend Megan, who was on in season one, I started relating to her more so than I have in recent years and like relying on her. I think because I was feeling so alone, so much more alone than I had. And I love my family and my family was there for me, of course. But I did also sometimes feel like, you know, like at least with my sisters, they both have their own families who they have to be tending to through this crazy time too. And I, it's nothing that they did, but I sometimes felt like, well, you know, I'm not their responsibility. They've got other things to be taken care of. But Megan and I both live alone. We're both single. We're the same age. We're two two days apart, so we're almost (laughs) literally the same age. And it just felt like, here's the person that Mm -hmm. I can can tell and I don't feel like I'm burdening them with stuff that they have to add to their plate now. And, and then hopefully I can reciprocate. Yeah. And yeah, I think it makes sense that Christina would be able to tell stuff to Gwen that she couldn't to Adam. And that's not Adam's fault. And I really appreciated that Gwen even defends Adam. Yeah. She said, and that's good. That's a good person you have there because he's trying yeah. And his goal is to support you. <laughs> she was a lot more gracious to him than, you know, but yes. <laughs> True. <laughs> but, True. No, I love that too, because it wasn't about something petty. Like sometimes people can be like, oh, look at me. I just met you and I'm relating to you better than your own husband. I win. You know, like they're beyond <laughs> that shit. They're like deep in something. You know what I mean? Like, it's not about that. Like, why wouldn't she defend him? Like she can tell he's a good person and is trying to help his wife. And I think she understands why he's doing that because people tried to do that with her. She tells that story about how in the beginning everyone flocks to you and, you know, and so she she like kind of knows what people are going to do. I mean, she almost comes across like a seer or something. You know, she's like, he's going to tell you not to look at the internet. And we just got that scene. So <laughs> Christina smiles. But I didn't think that was too convenient or neat or anything. I'm like, probably a lot of this is very predictable what people are going to do, you know. Does it bother either one of you that the doctor's name is Bedslow and not Bledsoe? Yes, I think I probably wrote it down wrong in my notes and I may have even said it wrong because it's like, what is it? It's Bedslow, is that it? Bedslow. That's weird. I'm like, why not just make it Bledsoe? Is that so much more common, but still uncommon? Didn't we grow up with Bledsoe's in school too? I feel like there were... Like, did you go to high school with a Drew Oh, Bledsoe? I just know 
That's the, that's an NFL quarterback. <laughs> um, maybe it's to we show went to us, high school with him. I'm kidding. <laughs> maybe it's to show us that his bedside manner is slow. It's bed slow. Maybe. Well, here's a scene that made me cry both times I watched no. the episode. Can I talk to you for a second? What? Um, I love working here. I love it. Okay. Okay. Um. But I sort of feel like you've been treating me like your girl Friday, you know, do the dishes and clean up the kitchen and, you know, don't say anything. I mean, I'm happy to help you with whatever you need, but I can really be a valuable asset here and I want to be a part of the team. And I kind of feel like you've been blowing me off a little bit lately. Can, can you sit down for a second? You're right, you're right. About all of it. Christina. Christina's sick. And uh, I'm sorry that I've been acting like a jerk. I'm just distracted, and uh, that's what's going on. I mean, what do you mean, sick? I can't give you all the details. You're the first person I'm telling, so. Sorry some of this stuff is going to fall on you, but I'm going to keep asking you to do some of these things for me because I'm going to need your help. I mean, they're both just great. And it was the simplicity of how her annoyance and feeling slighted, how completely it could be erased with just that mm-hmm. little bit yeah. of sharing. And and I was just watching. And I was like, that's what family is. <laughs> that when someone tells you I'm going through something and it's really hard. And then the other person, whatever they were feeling, OK, it just gets put away instantaneously realigning priorities. That's just such a testament to how much they love each other. Mm -hmm. And I also thought it was a nice show from Adam of how much he must respect Amber. Yeah. To tell her of all the people Mm -hmm. to tell first, even though he doesn't give details, which I think is fair in this case. Not like Zeke, don't tell your siblings. Right, right. (laughs) Well, he doesn't do that to her. Different. Yeah, he doesn't say don't tell anyone. He just says I can't tell you, which is different. Yeah. I just loved it. I loved it too. And I thought it was such an interesting little storyline at, you know, like just a couple of scenes really, but that must be another aspect of something like this. Just the, the stress. I mean, it, it was a really good way of showing how much stress Adam was under and how the forcing himself to be really positive took a toll on him too, right? He didn't feel that way. When Christina wasn't around, he was looking on the internet, doing the very thing he told her not to do. And then, you know, he was like, let's not put any bad thoughts in her head. You know, like, let's be positive. And then he just like bites Amber's head off, which I'm not even judging him. I get that, you know, I, but it's just, he can't keep it up either. And so it'll be much better, I think, for both him and Christina to just be able to be real with each other. And then I don't think it'll bleed into other things because they can just 
admit that everything is not okay. There it is. <gasps> what? Oh. <laughs> oh, I get it now. I got oh. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I contemplated telling you guys what a tritone is because they, <laughs> the group coming in is called the tritones. What is it? <laughs> if you want to know, a tritone is an interval. Like if you were in the key of C, it would be going from a C to an F sharp. Oh. And it is exactly halfway in the middle of an octave if you're dividing the octave by semitones because it's six and there's 12 tones. Oh. It's called a tritone, though, because if you do whole tones, then it's three whole tones between them. All right. It's also considered like the most dissonant interval. Like in the Middle Ages, they called it the devil in music, if you ever heard a tritone. Mm. Interesting. So earlier when we were talking about the Zeke storyline, you know, I, I was kind of like you, Caleb. I could take it or leave it in some ways. But there was that beautiful moment where Adam was talking to him outside and revealed that he knew what was going on with Zeke's health. And it felt just a little bit more serious than the rest of Zeke's storyline. And then I realized, oh, here's why. It's because Zeke tells him, I'm going to be all right, or something like that. And then I wrote down the exact line, and I want to quote it. He said, Then again, you never know what's going to happen to you. And I thought, damn. I mean, people keep telling Christina this whole episode, you're going to be fine, or I see you recovering. And, you know, for Zeke not even to know what's going on with Christina and just to be talking about himself... And to say something that poignant. And that must be really hard for him to admit because he likes to think of himself as virile and, you know, and immortal almost. And so anyway, that that line really got me. And I thought maybe the reason I didn't think to mention it before is it really relates, I think, more to the Christina storyline than to his. And uh, I really loved that moment. And of all the kids he could have said it to. Right. You know, right. not even mm-hmm. knowing what Adam is going through. Absolutely. It's not very reassuring to Adam, but not for the reason Zeke might think it wouldn't be. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, just to try to salvage a little bit of the dumb Max (laughs) vending machine storyline, the whole episode, he's just shouting continually, it's not fair, it's not fair. And, you know, Adam even like sort of repeats it to him at one point. He's like, you're right, it's not fair. And obviously he's talking about Christina. So it is maybe interesting how all these lesser storylines, they're all just sort of making their way into what Adam is thinking or like, really, it's a way of showing like the whole episode really is about Christina, even the storylines that seem like they don't. Maybe even what Sarah and Hank say, like, you think the world is your oyster. It's not, (laughs) you know, like you think everything's going to be easy and fine. It's not like I just thought of that one. So maybe they all sort of weirdly go back to that. I wondered, he did keep saying it's not fair. It's not fair. Is it unfair? I'm not sure that's exactly what fair means. Mm. I mean, it's not like, well, everyone has a right to have a vending machine in the hallway. It's not unfair that it got taken away. It's disappointing. Mm. I would like there to be a vending machine and there isn't. But that doesn't mean that it's unfair. Isn't it ironic? (laughs) (laughs) But isn't that true of Christina too? Like people always say that when they're sick, it's not fair. And I guess in a way that's true, but it is maybe more just, it's heartbreaking, it's disappointing, but 
Yeah, it's what you didn't want to happen. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean it's unfair. Because that makes it seem like some people deserve to get sick and some people don't or something. And I don't know. Yeah. Splitting hairs. I didn't care about the vending machine. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't either. We've got cancer. The stakes are so high. And then it's like, skills. yeah, like I said before, my yeah. take. I mean, I, I enjoyed the episode. Well done, Sam. <laughs> but I was it was very split for me. The things I, I liked, I liked a lot. And then I didn't dislike anything. I was just like, eh, I don't need that. I don't need the vending machine. I don't need I don't do weddings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny, too. There are usually like four distinct storylines, and it's usually each of the siblings. Although sometimes it's like Julia doesn't get one and Zeke and Camille do instead. It's usually only Julia that like switches out with the parents. This time, it might have been one of the very first times Crosby didn't get a storyline. He usually has yeah. one, you know, beyond Crosby and Julia being it part of the whole talking to Zeke thing. They didn't get anything additional. And yeah. so the cancer thing was not only thematically bigger, but it like took up a bigger piece of the pie. I feel like, you know, it was like not just one of four. It was like, well, here is our main storyline and just a couple of little supplementary, you know, situations. So that was interesting, too. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, thank you for sharing with us again. Yeah, I was a little worried because I had somehow seemed to pick another episode that had next to no actual parenting in it. (laughs) So I felt like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's have this parent on and, you know, we won't talk about the kids at all, but hopefully I (laughs) contributed carried my way. But it was perfect having you on just to provide all that context and just really interesting stuff about, like, being a surgeon and and all of that, I'm really glad to have gotten that perspective. It's a lot of things I never would have thought of. So thank you. And thanks, Gary. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, listeners. No, I was going to thank Lindsay, too. Thank you for always listening to us, too. It was, like, so kind. Oh, yeah. The kids remind me on Tuesday. Trip told me the other day, Mom, you could listen to Parenthood Pals if you want. Oh, my God. When they were singing the theme song, Mom, you can listen to that if you want. They don't have any new ones yet, buddy. Here's the last Mean Girls reference I'm going to make on Tuesdays. We listen to Parenthood Pals. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, please, everyone. uh, You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parenthood Pals everywhere. And you can visit us at our website, parenthoodpals.com. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.